Please be seated. Well, I was joking around a little earlier and said that I thought it'd be a nice night to have church outside uh, tonight, and I kind of got shut down. But uh, I don't know, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm about ready to go outside. <laughs> it's warm for me. But uh, anyway, uh, some of you had asked me, and I had no clue about the little bags that are back there on the table by the bulletin boards in the foyer. Those are for all of the widows. There aren't names on them, are they? So all the widows, uh, those are for you. Those were compiled and prepared by the children's classes on Wednesday nights. So uh, on your way out, if you would, take one of those and uh, maybe let one of the little kiddos know you appreciate uh, their thought uh, at uh, this time. On Sunday mornings in your Bible classes, in the adult Bible classes, uh, you've been looking at the uh, Sermon on the Mount for the last two quarters. And you're about to wrap that up, I believe. Uh, the junior high, we've been doing the same thing. Uh, we're not going to wrap it up. Uh, we're behind y'all, I imagine. Uh, and I hope that tonight's lesson is not ahead of where y'all are. I don't know where y'all are in the adult class. Uh, classes, but I wanted to uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the last parts of the Sermon on the Mount. And I've done the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we've done lessons on the Sermon on the Mount. Who would have thought that I think I'm going to do more lessons on First Peter than the Sermon on the Mount? But anyway, uh, we talked about that I, I view and I see when I read the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is challenging us. Jesus is challenging us to act differently, to think differently uh, about our religion, about what's right. He's challenging us basically to be different. Different not just from the world around us that we get in First Peter, we've been talking about that. But even different from the religious elite. Remember, I think that the key verse in the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were it. I mean, they were the religious elite. Most people, I imagine, would not even think, the common people, would not even think that they could begin to approach the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And Jesus says, not only should you approach that righteousness, your righteousness needs to go even beyond that. He talked in the Beatitudes and we see the challenge to be blessed, challenge of being the light and the salt of the world, the light of the world, salt of the earth. Think differently about righteousness. Then he gets into that section of chapter five where he talks about, you've heard that it was said, but in other words, this is where Jesus is raising the bar. It's not enough. Whoa. Leaned a little too far. It's not enough just not to murder. You shouldn't even hate. It's not enough just not to commit adultery. You shouldn't even lust. It's not enough to just make sure you've dotted all the I's and crossed the T's when it comes to divorce. You ought to stay married. It's not enough to parse your words so that you are technically not lying when you say something. You ought to just be able to tell the truth. And when your yes be yes and your no be no, you ought to forgive others 
And in fact, if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. Not only do you love your neighbors, but you love your enemies. And he goes on and challenges us to do things for the right motives. He says, if you're going to give, do it for the right motive. If you're going to pray, do it for the right motive. If you're going to fast, do it with the right motive, not to be seen by men. And he challenges us to judge with the right standard and to have the right priorities, which brings us to verses of seven through 11, where Jesus says, ask, and it will be, this is chapter seven, seven through 11, where Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What we see here, first of all, is when he's talking about the ask, seek, and knock, is that the ask, seek, and knock suggest desire. Now, Jesus is, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, of course, we've been chopping it up, right? In your classes, we've been taking a few verses here and a few verses here and a few verses here. But if we were listening to Jesus, if we were listening to him and and this was uh, like he was right up here preaching the Sermon on the Mount, this would begin the invitation. This is where he's beginning to wind down. This is where in the old days you'd be reaching for the songbook. This is where the mothers begin gathering all the things that they laid out for their children. This is kind of beginning to where he begins to sum it all up. And he challenges, I believe, our desire. He talked about asking and seeking and knocking. And the question is, how much do we really want what God has to offer? How badly... Do we want his righteousness? He's been talking about this throughout the sermon. Is it enough to just ask, seek, and knock? The Pharisees wanted the praise and the respect and the honor that went with being righteous. But they didn't really want to put their heart and desire into being righteous. They wanted to look righteous on the outside. They wanted people to see the good deeds that they were doing and be impressed by them and to honor them for the things that they were doing. But they didn't really want to change their hearts. They didn't really want to change their their mindset to really want to be close to God. We could get caught wanting the same things without a desire to change, without a desire to grow, without a desire to serve or become more Christ-like in our daily lives. So when he says, ask, seek, and knock, it suggests a desire to be closer to God. Secondly, it also suggests action. Remember, Jesus had already talked about seeking righteousness in chapter 6 and verse 33. We all know that one. I made a little joke in the junior high class today. told him I was going to write a song based on this verse. You know what that verse said? Seek ye first 
The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto me. And the junior high did pretty much like y'all did. (laughs) That really wasn't funny. Okay. But we ask and we seek, seek first God's righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. We do not receive righteousness by osmosis. I think we kind of think, feel sometimes that once we become a Christian, we're just supposed to, to be overwhelmed with goodness. Just like all of a sudden, goodness is just supposed to, to inhabit our body. And, and, and all of a sudden, we're going to immediately change from this to that. And it, it doesn't work like that, or at least not in my life. I don't know about in your life. I kind of probably thought that. When I was just a little older than Drew when I was baptized. You know, I kind of got the idea that, yeah, okay, I'm going to be baptized. And boy, when I, after I'm baptized, I'm just going to be so strong. I'm going to be so, and nothing's going to bother me. And I'm going to be so good. Whoa, it didn't take long to shoot that down. And to realize that, that if I really want to be what God wants to be, if I really want that righteousness, I'm going to have to do something about it. I'm going to have to read God's word. I'm going to have to pray. I'm going to have to be around others who, who can help me and strengthen me and encourage me. We, just, we receive it by diligently seeking it. We do not receive it by looking righteous on the outside. We fool ourselves. You know, it's one thing when we try to fool others, right? I can look so good and I can fool you, but I know, you know, well, that's not really what I'm like. The, pro- the real problem is when we begin to fool ourselves and we do all the righteous things on the outside and we go to church and we do this and we do that and we begin to fool ourselves that that's enough. That's what Jesus has been dealing with through the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus dealt with in his whole ministry with the, with the Pharisees. Remember, he said, you know, you're like you're like the people who clean the outside of the cup and the inside is nasty and you still drink from it. You're like the 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 grave, the tomb that you make all pretty on the outside. And in reality, and I know this is kind of we don't like to think of this, you know, but we, you know, we spend money on markers and tombstones and we we put flowers and we we make it all look nice. And Jesus says, but you know, it's just dead bones in there. It's just a rotten body in there. That's what the Pharisees were like. He called them vipers, generation of vipers, because they did these things. They just wanted to look good on the outside. We receive it by allowing God through his Holy Spirit to change us from inside, not make us or not just making us act different, but be different. And I think that's the whole key throughout this whole sermon. It's not, it's not just about acting differently. It's about being different. Now, I believe in, I'm a firm believer in, to some extent, fake it till you make it. Are there times when we may not feel like doing what God wants us to do? Well, we ought to do it anyway, whether we feel like it or not. And some people might say, well, that's being a hypocrite. I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Now, if that becomes our lifestyle, then it becomes hypocrisy. But sometimes we do what we know we ought to do, even when we don't feel like doing it. And then the more we do that, we begin to feel like it. I've said this before. I know you've been in the same boat. I know that not every one of you, every Sunday morning, gets up going, Woo, I get to hear Tim preach again. I'm so excited. You just bolt out of bed. Yeah, okay, maybe if you knew Mark was preaching. Okay, but there are some mornings, are there not? Or evenings, as the case may be, when you know, oh man, it's just an effort. It's kind of a struggle to get here, to be here. You don't feel like it. Can I let you in on a secret? I don't always feel like being here. I don't always feel like being up here, to be honest with you. There are times when it's difficult. But you know what? We do it anyway. Because we know it's the right thing to do. Is that hypocrisy? I don't think so. Like I said, if that becomes a lifestyle, then it may become hypocrisy. But we do those things that God, we know God wants us to do. And by doing them, that can help change us on the inside. I will tell you this. I don't think there's ever been a time where I didn't feel like coming that I wasn't glad I came. That when it was over, I was like, you know, I am so glad I didn't stay at home. I was so glad I didn't call Mark and tell him to preach. You may be glad you wish I had, but me. So we do those kinds of things. So ask, seek, and knock suggests desire. Ask, seek, and knock suggests action. And ask, seek, and knock also suggest courage. I was thinking about this when it talked about, you know, ask, seek, and knock. I don't know why, but dating came to my mind. You know, these kids have it so much easier than we did back in the day. Because they can text each other and it be casual or whatever and, you know, and and do all the things that we used to have to do by passing notes. Remember that? Or getting her friend to ask her, you know, will she go out with me, you know, and all that. You know, and and now, you know, it's not so much the guy has to ask the girl out, you know, it works the other way and all that stuff. But back in our day, not you people, and some of you people back there, but, you know, back in my day, you know, the guy asked the girl out. That That's just the way it was. And I was your typical, well, no, I wasn't. But anyway, pretend I was a typical guy. And, you know, we have feelings, don't we, guys? We have egos. We don't want to be humiliated. So there was this girl that I wanted to go out with. She was from church. Dana Abney, that was her name. Ah, she was cute. She was cute. She she wasn't going with anybody. And so Dana and I had a mutual friend from church, Anne Brigitte. Like Anne Brigitte? Her mama was French. Okay. So I asked Anne Brigitte, I said, Anne Brigitte, do you think Dana would go out with me if I asked her out? And Anne Brigitte said, Oh, yes. I know she would. I know she would. And I'm like, That's a big hurdle right there. Big hurdle for me. So I called Dana Abney and I say, Dana, it's Tim. 
like to go out Friday night? No, I don't think so. Okay, obviously she has plans Friday night. Because I've got the info. I know she wants to go out with me because Amber Jean told me so. Well, how about Saturday night? No. Okay. Still not connecting. Well, how about next weekend? No. About that time, the light bulb went off in my head. I don't think she wants to go out with me. Little humiliated. So, a few months later, decided to get back on the horse. This girl I want to ask out. I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm just going to call her up. You know how many times I dialed that phone and didn't dial the last number and hung up? <laughs> a whole bunch of times before I finally actually dialed the last number. She went out with me. But anyway, uh, there is some courage to asking and seeking and knocking. You know, whether it's asking somebody out on a date, whether it's asking your boss perhaps for a raise. I think about Esther. Esther was the queen, but, you know, it wasn't like we think of it. You know, apparently there were lots of other queens or at least lots of other women. And the queen just didn't, you know, walk into the king. They didn't really apparently live together or anything like that. And even the queen could not come and see the king without being invited. And anybody who went to see the king without being invited, if he didn't extend his scepter, and that included the queen. And yet Mordecai convinces Esther to go and speak on behalf of the Jews. And she summons the courage to ask, to knock, perhaps. We think about the courage that God always wants us to have. He always wanted his people to show courage, not in themselves, but in his strength and his abilities. Whether it was Moses, whether it was Joshua, whether it was David. Jesus is calling us. He's challenging us. He's daring us to have the courage to be different, to put his righteousness into action. Courage at home, courage at school, courage at work, courage in our communities. We need to ask, seek, and knock. And then chapter 7 and verse 12, we have what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now, the first thing I think we need to think about when we think about the golden rule is the golden rule is not about salvation. Just living by the golden rule does not bring about salvation. Faith and obedience in God brings about salvation. The golden rule is not a way to be saved. The golden rule is how those who are saved ought to act. Because of, therefore, as we've talked about, because of what God has done for us, we ought to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. We've talked about the idea of the two kinds of righteousness. That there is the initial righteousness. That righteousness we receive 
at the moment of baptism, when we are, when we are saved initially, there is a sense in which Drew will never be more righteous than he is right this minute. Right? He's not ever going to be more saved than he is right now. But is he going to grow and be a better person? Is he going to mature? Is he going to learn things? In that sense, is he going to become more righteous? Absolutely. And hopefully we all do. When we're talking about the golden rule, we're not talking about that initial righteousness. The golden rule is not what saves us. The golden rule is what we become because of what God has done for us. It says the law and the prophets. This sums up all the law and the prophets. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Have you read the law? I mean, have you really read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Have you gone all through there and we've got all the the dietary commands and we've got all these different things and weird stuff, you know, that I don't understand and go through all of that? What does this have to do with that? How does this sum any of it up? But remember that Micah said the same thing in Micah 6 and verse 8. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants from us. That's what God intends for us. Being just good, following the golden rule outside of Christ is not enough. Read Acts chapter 10. Read that description of Cornelius. Cornelius was a good person. He was a moral person. He was an upright person. He gave. He helped people. He was respected by those under him and those above him. He was God-fearing even though he was from a non-God-fearing country and group of people. And yet God sends Peter to him to share with him the gospel. Because just being good isn't enough. It can never be enough. And so we think about that as we think about the golden rule. The second thing I think that is... Does Jesus ever say some things that you just wish he didn't say? Notice that Jesus puts the golden rule in the positive. Do to others what you would have them do to you. I wish he would have put it in the negative. I wish Jesus would have said... Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Because see, there's a lot less responsibility there. If I don't want Bryson to hit me, you're off the hook, then I just don't hit Bryson. But that's not enough, Jesus said. It's not enough not to do what you don't want done to you, you have to do what you would want others to do to you. You understand? Am I making sense? It makes sense to me. The negative would have been so much easier, would have had so much less responsibility. But that's not what he says. Jesus gives us that simply not doing any harm 
is not what he says. But treating others in a way that we respect what we would want to be treated is challenging. Again, raising the bar. Jesus gives us that supreme example of the good Samaritan. If the good Samaritan had lived by the golden rule in the negative. Okay? In the negative. He could have just walked on by. He didn't do, he wouldn't have done, the priest and the Levite, right? They didn't do anything to the man that they wouldn't want him to do. They weren't the robbers. They didn't beat him up. But if we were the man who'd been beaten, we would want more than somebody not to do something to us. We would want somebody to help us, to do something. And the good Samaritan, we call him, understood that. And even though he was under no obligation, not ethnically, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, not legally, apparently. We have good Samaritan laws now, but they didn't have them back then. You know, he was not under any legal obligation. He was not even under a moral obligation as his society viewed morality. But he was under a deeper obligation to help somebody else. Do we always treat others as we would want to be treated? Do we always treat the waitress at the restaurant like we would want to be treated if we were the waitress? Do we always treat the store clerk Like we would want to be treated if we were the store clerk. Do we always treat our teachers like we would want to be treated if we were teachers? Do we always treat our students like we'd want to be treated if we were students? You remember in Matthew chapter 25, it's discussed there about the separation of the sheep and goats, the one on the right, you know. And and to the ones, he says, you know, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was sick, you didn't come visit me. When I was naked, you didn't give me anything to wear. When I was uh, hungry and thirsty, you didn't give me anything to eat and drink. And, and my thought would have been, my response would have been, their response was, well, when did we see you, right? And we didn't do that. My response would have been, but I didn't hit you. I didn't take your clothes from you. I didn't steal your food. I didn't, you know throw you in prison. I didn't, I didn't do anything to you. And if that had been my response, Jesus' would, response would have been, that's exactly right. You didn't do anything to me. You didn't do anything for me. You didn't help me when I needed help. Rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? Rich man, he had everything he wanted. Lazarus was the beggar outside the gate. All he wanted was a few crumbs. You read that story, you find me one thing Lazarus did. Excuse me, the rich man. You find me one thing the rich man overtly did wrong. Doesn't say that every morning when he came out, he kicked Lazarus. Doesn't say that he spit on him. Doesn't say that he called the cops to have him removed. Doesn't say that he, he sicked the dogs on him. Doesn't say he did any of that. He just didn't do anything. 
And for that, Lazarus ended up in torment. The rich man ended up in torment. You know what I'm talking about. The rich man ended up in torment. If we live by the golden rule, we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We won't have to draw attention to ourselves because we will stand out from the world on our own. That's one of the things that always, and maybe part of it has to do with the way Christians sometimes present themselves. But that's always been my question to those who are so violently opposed to Christianity. And I'm not talking about Muslim violent. I'm talking about violent within our own country who just have a total disdain and discard and disrespect and and hatred for Christianity and everything it stands for. And I'm like, really? I don't get it. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. That sums up the law and the prophets. That sums up Christianity. How narrow-minded do you have to be to not see that the world would be a much better place if everybody would just live by the golden rule? If everybody would just love their neighbors? If everybody would even love their enemies? If everybody would be peacemakers? The world would be such a better place. Even without, and I hesitate on this, but even without... Jesus, even, even, even without just the principles that he taught, the world would be a better place. Then you add on top of that the blessings we have because of him and the hope that we as Christians have of a place that's even better. So Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. And do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you're here this evening in some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 Six four five two eight nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.